Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. It's the official one, not the fake ones. The official Roto World Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. That's Ian Harditz. I'm um, Ian. A couple months ago, we have determined that you had just maybe the best way to put it is an odd eating schedule, yes. eating habits. So, can we be that typical podcast and talk about Thanksgiving here? Because how do you consume Thanksgiving if you only eat one meal a day and usually at night? Best holiday of the year. But you don't eat. I do on Thanksgiving. I mean, who doesn't eat on Thanksgiving? I will say I love cranberry sauce. That's maybe my favorite part of Thanksgiving. <laughs> and a lot of people don't like it. They call it like a condiment, which is ridiculous. It's a great piece of Thanksgiving. Are you saying that cranberry sauce is a side? Yes, it is no, its own it's a plate. Topping. That's ridiculous. What, what do you put cranberry sauce on top of? It's a topping. You put it in a bowl and you eat it out of it. What other topping do you do that with? Ketchup? Like, no, it's ridiculous. It's also sweet and, like, jelly and a jam, and so you're a child for liking it, it that much. It has standalone value. It's like a backup no, RB2 no, no, no. that you want to call backup, but it's still out there getting six targets per game. If, any, if anything more than, like, a smear is on your turkey from cranberry sauce, then you're putting too much on there. I don't put it on my turkey. I put it in a bowl, and I Here, eat it out of the bowl. You're missing the bigger point, though, Ian. If you love Thanksgiving so much because you get to eat all day... Why don't you eat all day other I, times of the year? I as don't well? eat all day. If anything, Thanksgiving is the format I use every other day because you eat one meal late in the day after starving yourself, so that one meal tastes extra good. So I think you just played yourself, Josh. I, I probably did. I did play myself <laughs> because one day I was driving home wondering this about you, so I already have you stuck in my head, which is not a good situation. You got to some be more in. thinking to do, I guess. I need forward. just some hobbies, <laughs> is what I need. All right. Today's podcast, always a spectacular one. Later on, we'll talk to Nick Minzio about his starts and sits. We'll also get to start looking at the playoff calendar a little bit for fantasy football, bring up some teams that you might want to lock on to at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver, maybe avoid at those same ones based on the opponents that they're playing in week 14 through week 16. But what we do every time on this Wednesday edition of the podcast is start off with the Thursday night football matchup. Pretty good one this week. The Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans. Texans are three-and-a-half-point favorites in this one, 45-and-a-half total. Are you surprised that all the Texans are favored here at home? A little bit, especially after that showing last week where, you know, the Ravens kind of blew the door off them. But there was a wild uh, stat. I think that was Deshaun Watson's first loss that came by more than the score. Yeah. Like, he just keeps them back. and like, wow. it's, it's so hard to blow them out because, you know, if you ever get in comeback mode where they actually take Carlos Hyde off the field, you can kind of see the full potential of that offense. But at the same time, the Colts are just so banged up. And we saw last mm. week, like, as long as their offensive line's healthy, they can compete with anyone. But, I mean, T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, Eric Ebron, Marlon Mack, all of their skill position players that are truly difference makers are hurt right now. 
I mean, Houston laid an absolute egg last week against Baltimore. They couldn't keep up in the least. And it always comes down to this. They could not create a big play. And sure, Carlos Hyde had one long run when the game was out of hand. That doesn't really matter. Just seven points that contest against the Ravens. And it came down to 169 passing yards by Deshaun Watson, 65 rushing yards by Carlos Hyde. A long reception went for 20 yards to John DeAndre Hopkins. And we talk about it every single week with this Texans team. They live and die by Deshaun Watson creating on his own. You know, creating time in the pocket, winning outside of structure, and hitting these vertical shots to Kenny Stills or sometimes DeAndre Hopkins or hopefully Will Fuller, who might be back this week. And when those don't happen, they lose. And it's a simple formula, but it's one that can be inconsistent, that can be high variance. And that's disconcerting for a team that right now is 6-4 and in the playoff hunt, but I don't have a strong feeling about them positively. It looks bad when they lose, too, because Watson's taking you know, unnecessary sacks, but that's just part of his game. I mean, it's, he doesn't check. think about it. When quarterback's trying to extend a play, he can throw the ball away, he can check it down, or he can take a sack and try to make something extra happen. Deshaun does not check it down. He does not really throw the ball away. So sometimes we see glorious bombs where he makes something out of nothing. Other times we see last week where it's six sacks and you know they struggle to keep the offense moving. So... We'll see. I do think we're on the verge of a DeAndre Hopkins blow-up game, mm. finally, because the floor's been there. League high, 13 straight games, at least five receptions, but we've talked about it. Career low, average target depth. They're using him as an underneath guy for the most part, but last week, 143 air yards. That was his most since his uh, blow-up performance back in week one. I think, you know, at the very least, like we saw that egregious non-call in the pass interference Correct. to Hopkins in the end zone. Like He is close to a big blow-up spot here, and I don't think the Colts have anyone that can cover him right now. They've been pretty good in their pass defense, though. They've, like They're improving in that area. I think they're like 14th in defense of VOA in terms of guarding the pass, but it's a game where you mentioned that Deshaun Watson, that was one of the first games that he's had that was basically a complete blowout on the loss column. Yeah. The Colts have played extremely close games this year. Their last week win against the Jacksonville Jaguars was the first game with a larger point differential than seven points Ooh. this season. Like They're just playing consistently close games. And it speaks to the talent, and I think the depth of talent that they have which is not much, which is not much. And so they aren't, you know, playing in these blowout performances. And because of that, this close win game ratio kind of regresses either season over season, most likely not during the season, but it speaks to how good this team is coached. And Frank Reich is just such a good coach. And I don't think that they have superstars on the defensive side of the ball. But they're getting it done there. Obviously, offensive side of the ball, they haven't had superstars without T.Y. Hilton. But if he does reemerge and come back in this game, which is a possibility if he does get cleared, that adds to me a huge swing in favor of the Colts, again, despite them being dogs here. People forget, T.Y. Hilton literally wore a clown mask to their playoff matchup against the Texans. Did he really? Season. That is how little respect he has for that entire <laughs> Franchise that doesn't seem like a T.Y. Hilton thing to do. No, which makes it that much more hilarious that he decided to do it. But no, I'm with you. If they can add him back, that's going to help a lot. Because otherwise, they're just a with or without they are without Marlon Mack. They're a run first offense either way, and they need Jacoby Brissett to create a couple big plays a game, which he's done. I mean, you talk about we talk about Deshaun Watson right. making big plays out of nothing. Jacoby Brissett is one of the more underrated, I think, off script quarterbacks in the league. I mean, he had two plays last week where he definitely looks healthy and back and you know he's he's a tough guy to get down let's break down that running back scenario here for the Colts because we talked about it on the Monday pod uh, with waivers and how Jonathan Williams is going to be a frequent 
and popular one this week. Well, Jordan Wilkins was out in that game, and Jordan Wilkins has been productive when given his small opportunities this year. And then you also have Naeem Hines. This is one of those situations that someone just probably spent their number one waiver priority on Jonathan Williams, and they're going to have to decide to use him on Thursday night, not wait for more information to flow and trickle out as he approaches Sunday. What would you advise those people to do? Do not start Jonathan Williams. I don't think so at all. I think Hines is the guy, if anyone, that you want to start this week because both Williams and Wilkins are going to be the early down back. So they're, I think, going to kind of limit each other's touches. The one guy that has a chance to kind of play 50% snaps, I think, is Hines because he's mm-hmm. been their early down guy, and he's able to run the ball. He's not the scat back that can't run between the tackles. I mean, he's the only guy out there that I could feasibly see getting a three-down roll. Uh, even then, though, I mean, just stay away from this running back group if you can. For the Texans' defense, when J.J. Watt has not been on the field, and he will not be on the field the rest of the season, the Texans have recorded a pass rush win weight of 29%. That's 31st in the NFL, only ahead of the Lions. Not great. That's not good at all. On the other side, again, I mentioned that this Colts' defense is improving, and again, I don't think it's because of talent that's coming back necessarily. They're probably just gelling as the season goes along. It's all about getting Deshaun Watson down on those elongated plays because when he can create and has the time and creates on his own, then boom, he can hit those big vertical shots. But the Ravens and a few other times this season, teams have prevented the Panthers did a good job of this. And so it's it's not initial sacks that you get on Deshaun. It's like that second and third sure. effort sacks that you get on him. And if the Colts can do that, they can win this game. All right, last point I want to make. The only guy that's breaking tackles at a higher rate this season than Duke Johnson is Alvin freaking Kamara. Every week can it's we Duke Johnson Duke? with you, dude. Yeah, Every because week. he's one of the best players in the league that isn't getting the ball. Like, is, why is this not a bigger crisis Don't we care about volume? national media? What? Don't we care about volume? Yes, and he's not getting it. That's, yeah. that's my problem. I, I understand. Look, we, we all have hills we die on, but I think at some point we look at this season and we say, okay, Duke Johnson's just not getting the ball, and is he worth the effort that we put into it? Well, he gets the ball, and he does amazing things does. with it, and then they just don't give him the ball more. Yeah, so. when he does get the ball, he's like a top 30 play at running back. Yes, and I'm watching as everyone goes, well, he's not getting the ball. Let's forget about Duke Johnson. No, I am continuing to bring I'm just up. trying to get you to eliminate some frustrations out of your life. No. You know, you have a lot going on. You work very hard, Ian. You put out a lot of work on rotoworld.com, 17 comms, like I say, each and every week. I always have time to stand for Duke Johnson. All right. All right. Uh, something else you brought up on this as we transition to the other part of this podcast is the playoff calendars for quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Again, we're talking about weeks 14 through 16 here. And let me preface this by saying that there are some really good matchups, let's say, for the Miami wide receivers and the Miami running backs and, like, Brendan Allen at the Denver Broncos quarterback position. We aren't mentioning those because we would never advise people just to play them blindly, no matter their talent or who they're playing. So this kind of just, more than anything, Ian, opens up a discussion based on some plays that might be on the fringe and then if that's benefited or hindered by who they're playing in these next, well, not these next three weeks, but again, week 14 through week 16. Let's start off at quarterback. Uh, Tennessee Tennessee Titans with Ryan Tannehill. Start with the Oakland Raiders, Houston Texans, and the New Orleans Saints in the playoff picture. Yeah, he's set up well. And look, Tannehill's already been a good fantasy quarterback since he took over in week seven. I mean, he's one of only 10 QBs averaging at least 20 fantasy points per game in that stretch. In a league that now has Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and Kyler Murray, and pretty much no other consistent running quarterbacks, Tannehill's kind of given us that. 38 and 37 rushing yards over the last two games, multiple touchdowns with 300-plus yards and all four starts. I mean, Mm. 
Like, why was he not playing earlier over Mariota with these types of numbers? I mean, he's been keeping him competitive. You know, they're going to have, there's going to be Derrick Henry weeks in this stretch, but at the same time, he's got Corey Davis, he's got A.J. Brown, there's talented guys out there, and I don't think any of these matchups against the Raiders, Texans, or Saints are going to be games where, you know, Titans are going to run away with it and, you know, just feed Derrick Henry. So I think Tannehill, in this end of the season stretch, will have the volume to do what he needs to do. The Saints pop up here a couple more times, and I don't want to repeat myself each time they do pop up. But I think they are a defense we should be a little more concerned about. Obviously, the Raiders and the Texans, not at all. But, again, that's talking week 16 here with the Tennessee Titans. And I don't think in your fantasy championship, if you're playing Ryan Tano, but, again, we are going to talk about the wide receivers a little bit later yeah. on. Let's go to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Their week 14 through week 16 looks like the Indianapolis Colts at the Detroit Lions and the Houston Texans. Jameis Winston uh, throws a lot of interceptions. In real life, not a good quarterback. In fantasy, he throws interceptions, but more importantly, he throws touchdowns, and he has two of the best pass catchers in the league on his team. Yeah, he's the fantasy QB 10 this season, despite wow. throwing a league-high 18 interceptions. Despite being not good at his job. Exactly, but hey, you know, we're just worried about the production. He's, he's giving it. I mean, him and Matt Ryan, uh, league-high, seven games with at least 300-plus passing yards, so you're getting that nice bonus for DFS and certain season-long leagues that have that as well. But, yeah, kind of like the other game. I mean, look. The thing with Jameis and this Buccaneers team, like you're you're just kind of worried about disaster striking. Mm, exactly. That. So I think the Colts, Lions, Texans, none of them really kind of have the type of offenses I think are just going to put Jameis into the dirt and really force Arians' hands in these matchups. So I think most teams probably already have Jameis on a roster somewhere. But if not, I mean, you could definitely do worse than a guy that you know is going to be gunslinging to two of the better wide receivers out there. And just thinking about possible chaos here with Jameis Winston. What if he goes out there in like three of those final four weeks of the season and lights it up against the Colts, against the Lions, against the Texans, like three or four touchdowns per game, no interceptions, heading into the offseason, does that Jameis Winston narrative change? Because we know how quickly it can in the eyes of people in the final three or four weeks of the season. I'm for that. Not for that because it's Jameis Winston, just for it because I'm team chaos all the time. I want Jameis Winston to be the Las Vegas Raiders starting quarterback. So that would kind of ruin those plans for me. But we'll talk I, about Derek Carr a little bit. We'll see. Uh, okay, Cleveland Browns are next, staying with the good here, the good schedules in your fantasy playoffs. The Cincinnati Bengals in week 13, excuse me, week 14, Arizona Cardinals in week 15, and the Baltimore Ravens in week 16. Obviously, Baker Mayfield we are talking about here. Baker Mayfield and the Browns have rebounded a little bit in recent weeks. From the eye test, it looks very positive. The yardage totals are not very high. We know against the Buffalo Bills, 238 yards. Pittsburgh Steelers, 193 yards. But he does have two touchdowns throws in each of those performances as well. And even before those, even before I stretch, I got the Dolphins this week, the Steelers next week. The Browns can make a little run here. And, I mean, I think we were talking about that uh, before the Pittsburgh game last Thursday night. But, yeah, they are playing better, and I think it makes sense because they're getting talent back on the offense. I mean, Kareem Hunt, to see what they've done with him, like gives me a whole new respect for Freddie Kitchens. I'm not sure he deserved up until this point, but they, over these last few weeks, have made a concerted effort to get OBJ the ball more. They're getting Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb on the field together at the same time, most by using Hunt in the slot or out wide. They're getting their best players on the field, and we've seen the results with Baker Mayfield so far. Uh, David Njoku is their returning player, and that's only going to help matters because I think Demetrius Harris and Ricky Seals-Jones, while they can do okay things, neither of them is anything resembling Njoku in terms of just a three-down tight end. So I think the best days are still to come with this offense, and you know we've seen Baker's ceiling. I know it hasn't been all that prevalent in 2019 compared to 2018, but Bengals – 
I don't play them against the Ravens, but Bengals exactly. and Cardinals in 14 and 15, absolutely. I was going to mention that. Like, we mentioned the Ravens here, and this isn't a clean matchup for three straight weeks for all of these positions and players. But um, the other two, absolutely. And Baker, you mentioned Kareem Hunt's name. I have been stunned a little bit, surprised at how heavily he's been incorporated so early on. I mean, he missed. I mean, basically Nick Chubb had 1,000 yards rushing before he even stepped on the field. And they're not using him as a runner. They're using him, obviously, as a receiver. And it's not just out of the backfield. They're, like, lining him up as a true wide receiver in the slot, a little bit out wide, and asking him to run these shorter patterns, obviously, but get the ball in his hands. And that little element, that little injection of hope that this Browns offense needed, and if they cut down the penalties and everything else that has come with the Browns this year, that's been awful. Baker Mayfield could not save someone's fantasy season, but it would be interesting with how many positive thoughts so many people had about the Browns heading into the year. If heading into your fancy championship, the Browns are a major reason why you are yeah. there. Uh, let's close out this quarterback position with a bad matchup. And it's the Kansas City Chiefs. And so this is going to test us a little bit. Because Patrick Mahomes here in weeks 14 through 16 faces the Patriots, the Broncos, and the Bears. Three of maybe the top eight defenses across the NFL. You're never going to bench Patrick Mahomes in those situations for Unless someone like a Ryan Tannehill. Have like Lamar Jackson. Right, but never for someone like a Ryan Tannehill or a Jameis Winston. But tapering your expectations in your fantasy playoffs can be difficult, especially with someone like Mahomes who helped you rack up wins earlier in the season. Yeah, I think that's all we got to do. Like, just temper the expectations because these are tough matches. We saw the Patriots last season held the Chiefs under 10 points in the first half in both those games. You know, we saw him kind of get in comeback mode. But the problem this year is I'm not sure if we're going to see him in full-on comeback mode in this spot because the Patriots can't really score points uh, all that frequently. They can score points, but they're not consistently moving the ball on offense like we've seen in years past. And then the Broncos, you know, obviously his numbers in that first game were terrible because he got taken out in the second quarter. But even going back to last year and stuff, we've seen them have a little bit of success against Mahomes. Maybe the Bears will just be quitting on their team by week 16. I'm not really sure uh, what to think about that one. But, yeah, like you said, temper the expectations. Never bench Mahomes. But I think it might uh, – and we'll talk about this more in the wide receiver sec uh, se section. But if anything, like, I'm more worried about the Demarcus Robinsons, the Mecole Hardmans, the complementary yeah. options in the offense. If you have Mahomes, if you have Tyreek Hill, if you have Travis Kelsey, they're in your lineup. Let's talk about that for a second because since the Chiefs are on a bye this week, we won't be talking about them in the preview episode tomorrow. What do you think of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense performance on Monday Night Football against the L.A. Chargers? I thought it was maybe Mahomes' worst game that we've ever seen him play. And I, I thought it was optimistic that he showed that rushing floor that he offered, and especially coming back from the knee issue just a couple weeks ago. But when you don't have Tyreek Hill in that ball game. Demarcus Robinson wasn't stepping up like he was earlier in the year. Sammy Watkins is just so irrelevant in the NFL right now. It's a little worrisome. We don't know if Tyreek Hill is going to miss any time at all. But Mahomes isn't Mahomes right now of 2018. And I'm not saying he's necessarily playing that much worse, but that touchdown regression was just going to hit no matter what. Yeah, I'm a... I don't want to take away too much from that game because, look, the Chargers' defense actually has been playing pretty well lately. Yeah. We saw them shut down the Packers in a game that we figured the Packers would roll through, too. So, obviously, losing Tyreek changes that entire offensive outlook. But moving forward, I think they're going to be fine. It was a weird game in Mexico City on Monday yeah. night when you lose your That's fair. The focal point of your offense less than five minutes into the game. So, And I always feel like I have to review what I just said so people don't think I'm like being super critical <laughs> oh, yeah, of yeah. the Chiefs and don't think they're good. I think they're awesome. I think Patrick Mahomes is awesome. It was just the last 
exposure we have of this offense. And it was and his it worst wasn't, performance of his career. It was. I mean, it's, you know, we can say that and not be mean about it. It's what happened. It's truth. <laughs> Flipping to the running back position to start with the good. The New England Patriots backfield has not been good. But again, the schedule in your fantasy playoffs is very good. The Kansas City Chiefs, who are atrocious against the one. The Cincinnati Bengals, who are atrocious. And the Buffalo Bills. Those are the final three for your fantasy season. So, Michelle, this is how I'm thinking of this. Remember the way he ended last year, and he ended the playoff and the Super Bowl run. It was like multiple 100-yard games, multiple, multiple touchdown. touchdown games. He's the reason why some of, that's the reason why some of us wanted to draft him this year. What if that's how they end this year? I mean, the offense is different this year than it was last, and a major part of that is offensive line play. The offensive line is just not playing nearly as well. But getting Isaiah Wynn back for a couple games before this happens – It'd be tough to trust the Patriots' backfield, but based on the schedule, you might have a little bit more optimism than you thought before. And if anything, like, to me, this is a sign that you want, if these P- Patriots running backs are available in a waiver wire, like, get them on the bench, because any of White, Michelle, Burkhead, if one of them gets hurt, like, the other two are instantly very viable fantasy starters here. Because, I mean, Brandon Bolden's been there before, but he's not getting more than a few right. snaps per game. But, I mean, I agree with you with Sony, but with that said, if Sony gets hurt, then Rex Burkhead all of a sudden is going to be looking at 12 to 15 touches. Freaking league winner, maybe. Exactly. So, um, you know, as the current state, you know, last – Four weeks or so when they've had all these guys. James White been at 42% snaps. Sony only 31. It's been really tough to take anything away. And we've talked about this all year. Like the offense is not what it's normally been. No. They are third in points per game because of their defense. They are 24th in yards per play. Like if that holds, this will be the first time since 2003 they finished outside the top 20 offenses in uh, yards per game. With that said, Isaiah went back. You know, it would make sense if Brady and them continue to figure it out as Nikhil Harry's more involved, Sanu's getting more integrated. There's reason to believe that they could start to peak at the end of the season and with this schedule, probably be through the run game. There's a lot of worry, like, across the NFL landscape right now of is Tom Brady done? Is this Patriots off? We talked about on the podcast earlier this week just how can we fix this offense. As thinking back about it, I'm not worried. I'm really not worried because this seems to happen every year with the Patriots. And it's a little bit later on. I'm not saying just about the offense. Sometimes it's about the defense. Sometimes it's about wide receiver play. So on and so forth. This year it's offensive line play. It's not having a running game. The running game has been one of the worst in the NFL. But they figure it out. And they will figure it out. Now, is it in time to maximize all three of these options? I don't know. But as we hit the real NFL playoffs, I would be shocked if that side of the ball holds the Patriots back from reaching the peak because I don't know if that can, I mean, we just haven't seen that happen to any Patriots team. I don't think we've seen the Patriots real offense yeah. yet because I think that what they really want to do is they want to have Sanu and Edelman in the slot and then Harry and Dorsett on the outside. Ben Watson has been lining up in the slot like on 70, 80% of his reps. He's basically been a slot wide receiver. We know Sanu's got that size. I just think if you use that four wide receiver set as your base, you can spread them out and it actually get your best players in the field, but we'll see what they do. Going to um, from one backfield that has not been good to another backfield that has not been good, the Chicago Bears. Um, they have the Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers, and Kansas City Chiefs during your fantasy playoffs. David Montgomery, like Sonny Michelle, is not breaking tackles. He's not creating on his own. And this Bears offense is putrid. It's awful. It's expected. It's consistently bad. (laughs) And I don't know how, because I mean, people drafted Dave Montgomery in round three, round four, if we can remember back to those days. Feels like an eternity ago. (laughs) But again, these three matchups that they have are, are positive ones. Are you to the point where you think, yeah, why not? I've made my playoffs. Why not take a shot here with Dave Montgomery? See, they're positive matchups, but like we were, I was talking about some of the quarterbacks, like with the good game script, this is 
awful potential game script for yeah. Montgomery. Each of the Cowboys, Packers, and Chiefs could easily blow out the Bears in these spots. And when you got Mitch Trubisky kind of orchestrating the whole offense, it's hard to be too confident in this. The big issue, though, that I saw last week in particular was maybe it's because Montgomery, I think it was his knee, he was kind of banged up throughout the week in game-time decision. But Tariq Cohen, season-high 32 backfield snaps in week uh, 11, 14 touches. He's not going away. And, you know, unlike some of these other players we've talked about, like Montgomery, yeah, if everything sets up great, he gets 15 touches versus a good run defense. I feel confident that he can produce at least a fancy viable role with that. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure it's going to be with that stretch. Though. So while the numbers say these three matchups might be good, our eyes tell us that they probably are bad because, one, Mitch Trubisky's bad, or it might be Chase Daniel at that point. So matching up and keeping up with the Cowboys offense, the Packers offense, and the Chiefs offense likely is not attainable. Well, I also put more stock in, I think, pass defense than run defense. Like, just I look at these teams, the Cowboys, the Packers, and Chiefs. They're all, they've all been bad against the run this year, but like teams can just add more guys to the box and yeah. distinguish run games. Like We've seen over these last few years now, if you're a defense that might rate poorly, but you're good against the pass and not so good against the run, you can still turn it up for stretches. Especially against a back like David Montgomery, who has like two long plays this season. And it's brutal, man. I, mean, I don't know how many times we all heard the college broken tackle stats yeah. coming out, and he's 35th out of 49 backs in elusive ratings. So. Interesting. Uh, let's look at a bad running back schedule. <clears throat> That's the Buffalo Bills who face the Baltimore Ravens, then they're at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and at the New England Patriots. I guess we're talking about Devin Singletary here, um, who has kind of emerged in that backfield, but he's not seeing goal line snaps. He's not seeing short yardage snaps. He's still splitting important moments with Frank Gore and I'm not sure if you're ever going to get to your fancy playoffs if Devin Singletary is in your starting roster. Singletary is getting the snaps but they're still getting Gore like double digit low end rush attempts per game. The biggest issue I think is just Josh Allen. I mean this is obviously this is tough matchups too that you need to concern yourself with but Josh Allen is the league's biggest vulture. I think has been mm -hmm. for the last two years. The only players with more rushing touchdowns than Josh Allen are Gurley, Henry, Jones, McCaffrey, and Connor. That's it. Like this guy, when they get inside the 10-yard line, Josh Allen is looking to take off and score, and it's impacted his running backs. I mean, he's had 21 starts to this point. There's been more games where his running back has finished as an RB3 or worse, 13 of those, versus RB1 or 2. It's only eight times, so it's been consistent. Last year, we saw shady splits with and without Josh Allen in the lineup pretty severe, and this year, we're kind of seeing it again where, yeah, Singletary, I think he's good, and when he gets 20 touches in the game, he can do good things with them, but with Gore still annoyingly involved, and with, again, Josh Allen taking all the truly fancy-friendly opportunities, I, I think you're going to want different options in the playoffs. He's the best runner on the team. It's that simple. Uh, wide receiver, good Indianapolis Colts with T.Y. Hilton and Zach Pascal. They face off against the Tampa Bay Bucks, the New Orleans Saints, and the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Zach Pascal was a nice story. Again, I don't know if I was you about can really to say is he really number two there that we won, or you think it's Paris Campbell? It could be, or is Devin Funches ever going to come back? Possibly. That's another good point. But I really think this just focuses on T.Y. Hilton, and you're not benching T.Y. Hilton no matter what because he's one of the best playmakers in the right. NFL, no matter no never. situation. Not even there's a fire. So this just helps him. I mean, it really does help him. Tampa Bay's defense has been bad against the pass. Again, I think we're kind of underrating the Saints based on early season performance, and Carolina just completely tanked it. I don't yeah. know if you want to add anything. If Marshawn Lattimore gets back for the Saints, that's definitely more of a matchup to concern yourself with. Uh, one thing I would note, Eric Ebron's essentially a wide receiver. He spent 67% of his snaps in the slot and out wide. They've been using him a lot more recently. I know he's banged up right now, but if those snap rates persist, I think we can really feel good about firing him up as a low-end tight end one in the fantasy playoffs. Two more. Another good Tennessee Titans with Corey Davis and A.J. Brown have the Oakland Raiders, Houston Texans, and again, these New Orleans Saints. <laughs> um, 
man, like you were talking about with Duke Johnson, I've kind of been there with A.J. Brown. Like, just give this guy yeah. more than four targets a game and he can explode. Uh, he has been crippling himself a little bit with some drops here or there. But I'm also at the point where, like, that's just not who the Titans want to be. You know, that's just not – they want to run the ball 25 times with Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill might spread it around to Corey Davis and Jonu Smith and A.J. Brown. I'm to the point where maybe 2020 I'm looking at A.J. Brown having six-plus targets again. I mean, these are not safe plays for all those reasons that you just mentioned. But with that said, we know A.J. Brown's really, really good. We know Corey Davis, as long as his hip injury isn't too bad, is really, really good. Or at least I believe Corey Davis is good. I'm not sure your exact opinions on him. But, yeah, we're getting the Raiders, Texans, and Saints, you know, talked about Tannehill and the good things he's done uh, in this short stretch where he's been starting. It's not the highest floor situations. But when you got talented receivers and great matchups that could get some decent target share, yeah. We mentioned that Patrick Mahomes has difficult matchups in weeks 14 through 16. That means the same can be said for the wide receiver spot. Again, that's the Patriots, Broncos, and Bears. This means something for Tyreek Hill, kind of, because if Tyreek Hill's healthy, you're playing him no matter what. But more than anything, this means something for if anyone's playing Michael Hardman, if you're still playing Sammy Watkins, if you're thinking about playing Demarcus Robinson. In these situations, you're not going to play any three of those names. Watkins is the only one no, that stop is it, still leaning towards it. a little no, bit. No, no, no. You expect more from a player who is getting paid over $10 million a year, I believe, who had that week one performance and basically since then did absolutely nothing. Like, the opportunity was there against the Chargers for him to be the team's wide receiver one, and he didn't do it. He's a lost cause at the wide receiver position. He's wide receiver Kristen Michael. Oh, how dare you. He's just not going to perform. You want No there. matter the situation. You want No there. matter being attached to Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and Andy Reid. Sammy Watkins is just, he exists. He exists as a idea that, yes, I want to have attachment to this Chiefs offense, and you don't. You don't want attachment to Sammy Watkins. Do you think Sammy Watkins or Michael Hardman scores more points in weeks 14 through Probably 16? Sammy Watkins, but who cares? Who cares? Touche, you win this round. Time now for Nick Menzio. His starts and sits column, you can check out the entire list up on Roto World right now. Nick, let's start off with Philip Lindsay. You think he's a start this week against the Buffalo Bills? Uh, last week against the Vikings, he did have 16 carries for 67 yards plus two receptions. And I believe there were some reports that he was expected to see the bulk of the backfield. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. He played a season-high 65% of the snaps and the loss of the Vikings. That's a 15% spike on his playing time from weeks one to nine. Royce Freeman, on the other hand, played just 29% of the snaps. That's, 20, that's a 22% dip from his first nine weeks. As you mentioned, Lindsey uh, outtouched Freeman 18-9, though neither back really did a whole lot from a fantasy perspective. Lindsey turned his touches into just 75 scoreless yards, but... Unlike the Vikings, the Bills field an extreme run funnel defense. Buffalo is 26th in DVOA compared to ninth versus the pass. Um, opposing running backs average over 4.58 yards per carry against the Bills. Um, Buffalo is 18th in rushing yards allowed per game and 19th in fancy points surrendered to running backs. Um, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both combined for 24 carries for 146 yards against Buffalo in Week 10. Adrian Peterson had 18 carries for 108 yards against Buffalo in Week 9. Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders both found the end zone. Um, and Buffalo averaged over 4.6 yards per carry against the Bills week before that. So 
I mean, Lindsey's the current RB20 and has PPR points right now and has been targeted one fewer time than Freeman, but I think there's enough enough meat on bone here for um, Lindsey to rack up 16 to 20 touches in what should be a competitive game. Yeah, it's looking great for him this week and honestly moving forward too. We got the Chargers, Texans, Chiefs, and Lions coming up. All those squads are 20th or worse and fewest uh, PPR per game allowed to opposing RBs. Nick, I feel like we can cautiously kind of approach Lindsey as an RB2 moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And then, I mean, but the Broncos don't want Brandon Allen to air the ball out 39 times like he did last weekend. They definitely want to lean on this running game. And then, I mean, I could see Lindsey as a ceiling for him with 25 touches in the spot. Let's next go to Tyra Williams against the Jets. You also think he should start this week, Nick, in your fantasy football lineups. Uh, last week against the Bengals, he had four targets, only four, and only four receptions uh, for 82 yards. You know, if I can just have the floor here for a moment. I got into a Twitter argument with Raiders fans here actually last night. Stayed up way too late. Never advise that for anyone. And, Nick, what they brought up is that Derek Carr has been extremely efficient on downfield throws this year. And they were mad because prior to the season, I talked about how he doesn't throw the ball down the field. He's still not throwing the ball down the field. He's 22nd in attempts of 20-plus yards down the field. And in terms of the percentage of his passes this season, he's 26th in how many throws are downfield. But he's been incredibly efficient, and I'm sure that's playing into the hand here of Tyrell Williams this week. Yeah, I mean, I think Raiders – Raiders fans on Twitter are probably the most ruthless. I think me, you, and Rotopad have all been uh, getting some heat from them over the last couple weeks. But, I mean, like you, you said, you hit the nail on the head with everything. On the field. But when he does, he's pretty good at it. Um, I don't know if I'd go pretty good, actually. I mean, he's, he's decent at it. Um, but he doesn't push it down very often. Um, after seeing six targets per game, weeks one to four with a touchdown catching, all four of those games, Williams' targets have dipped to 4.75 per week over the last four. No touchdowns in his last three games, but the good news is he still commands the lion's share of the air yards for Oakland. Um, he, he did play a season low 75% of the snaps last week against the Bengals, however, and has been on, in on just 83% of the downs since coming back from his foot injury. Still a solid clip, but Williams played at least 92% of the snaps weeks one to four. Um, Hunter Renfro and Zay Jones have taken on increased roles with Darren Waller, being an every downside and dominating team targets, but... I still think this spot rep- represents a uh, terrific bounce back spot for Williams. The Jets are nails against the run, but they're they're pretty bad against the pass. Twenty first against and passing yards allowed, and they've allowed the third most fantasy points to opposing wideouts. Um, Darius Slayton had ten catches for 121 yards and two touchdowns against the Jets two weeks ago. Golden Tate also caught two touchdowns for the Giants in that same game. Uh, Preston Williams had five catches for 72 yards and two touchdowns the game before that before tearing his ACL. Um, Devontae Parker had four catches for 57 yards and a score in that game for the Dolphins. And both Chris Conley and DJ Chark found the end zone the game before that against the Jets. So, I mean, everything's looking good for Williams this spot, even if the target count's been a bit low. And I think a lot of people are pointing to Derek Carr having probably his best season since 2016. I think that's this fair to say. Is way better in 2016. Well, Excuse and you. I would say what both did well, though, it's not, you know, his second year in a system. It's, it's offensive line play. Like, the offensive line in 2016 was one of the best in the NFL. And this year, they've been one of the best in the NFL. And so while, you know, we criticize Derek Carr and John Gruden heading into the year, the person we should really apologize to is Tom Cable. Yes. Now, that's not to say that Tom Cable was a, bat, a good offensive line coach back in the Seattle days. He was awful. 
He was he, he didn't know how to acquire talent at that position, and he didn't coach him well either, but he's doing a great job with this unit, and it's trickling down to the rest of this offense in the running game and the passing game as well. All right, let's start on your sits, Nick. Ronald Jones is one of those names. You know, a couple weeks ago, we were kind of optimistic about Ronald Jones because Bruce Arians came out and said, yeah, we need to give Ronald Jones more touches. Well, last week, he gave Ronald Jones four carries for 13 yards and just two catches. Against the Atlanta Falcons this week, this has kind of been a resurgent defense, Nick, and you don't advise starting Ronald Jones. Yeah, I remember talking about Jones a couple weeks ago with the guys on the same exact pod. Um, He played 55% of the snaps against the Seahawks in week nine, handled 20 touches for the second time this season. But after that game, Bruce Arians admitted Jones earned and deserved more work. But in the two games since, his snap rates have been 45% two weeks ago and 29.9% last week. Um, touch counts of 19 and 6. Uh, the 19 touch day was pretty skewed with eight catches against the Cardinals, considering he entered that game with eight catches for the entire season. Um, but the Bucks got rocked by the Saints last week, putting Jones in extreme negative game script situation. Dari Agunbawale is uh, Arians' preferred uh, pass game at catch-up mode back, and this this Bucks Falcons game has a sexy 51 and a half point total. But the Bucks are four point underdogs going on the road against an Atlanta defense that, like you just said, has been playing lights out the past two weeks since their bye. Um, they shot down the Saints two weeks ago, and then um, limited the Panthers to three points last week in Carolina. So this game getting away from the Bucks is a real possibility. I mean, I just think Jones is a super scary RB three play with like a, a really scary floor. The problem here is that it's a three RB backfield. We could live with this if it was two between Jones and Barber, but Dari has just been as involved. On the season, Ronald Jones has played 221 snaps. Dari is at 213, and Peyton Barber is at 208. Uh-huh. What a mess. It's, don't trust anyone. Do not trust anyone in the Bucks backfield, I should say. All right, <laughs> let's close it out with Curtis Samuel against the New Orleans Saints. Again, another sit from you, Nick. Uh, look, I'm the biggest advocate, one of them, along with Ian, for Curtis Samuel in the football universe, okay? But I understand why you want to sit him. I mean, just seven uh, targets, four catches, 25 yards last week against the Atlanta Falcons. The only two good things in the Panthers' offense right now are Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore, and it's because the quarterback can't support anything else along with the offensive line play. Yep, 100%. DJ Moore and Christian, Christian McCaffrey are very clearly the top two options in this offense right now with Samuel fighting for what's left with Greg, and Ol- Greg Olson. Um, Kyle Allen completely bottomed out last week against the Falcons, leaving, I mean, like no confidence in this passing game, headed into a, a tough road environment at the Superdome. Um, New Orleans is top eight in both pass defense DVOA and opponent yards per attempt. I mean, Allen crumbles under pressure, should see a lot of it this Sunday. Um, this, this game's 47-point total is third highest of the week, but the Saints are massive nine-and-a-half-point home favorites. Um, Carolina's implied total of 18.75 points is fifth lowest of the week. Um, Samuel settled in more of like a touchdown-dependent wide receiver four um, against a Saints defense that's number six in opponent plays per game. I mean, since the week seven bye, Samuel is averaging a healthy eight targets per game, but he's failed to top 46 yards. And three of those four games has mainly gotten by as a, as a fantasy asset with four touchdowns over his last five outings. But, I mean, I'm just not excited in this spot at all with Kyle on that quarterback. I just want to plead with everyone out there, you know? Because just because Curtis Samuel had expectations heading into their optimism, which were warranted, I think people are going to look at his numbers and, and say, oh, he failed to reach expectations. Oh, he's, he's not a good football player. No, like good football players can be destroyed by bad quarterback play, especially at the wide receiver position. 
And that's what's happening here with Curtis Samuel. Like he's getting all these air yards, he's getting opportunities, but they're not real air yards. They're not real opportunities because Kyle Allen cannot throw the football consistently drive to drive, game to game, down the field. And Curtis Samuel still can be very good at football, yet he's attached to a bad football player. And I think that's what's taking a season, Ian. The only offense that has a lower percentage of catchable targets this season the Panthers is the Browns. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to be watch the film guy, but with that said, like, just look at Curtis Samuel's deep ball targets. Tell me if what other wide receivers are going to come he, down with He those. can be a bad fantasy football play, but that doesn't mean he's a bad football player. And I understand. I hyped him up. You hyped him up. A lot of people did. Matt Harmon hyped him up. But just because he didn't reach your expectations doesn't mean he's bad at football. And I should probably say that about a bunch of people in the fantasy football world, but I feel attached here to Mr. Curtis <laughs> Samuel because he's a very good football player. And I'm just... I'm going to be afraid when he goes to like the Philadelphia Eagles and launches off for like multiple thousand yard seasons. <laughs> Anyways, that's it. Nick Menzio, thanks so much. You can check out his starts and sets over on Rotor World. Great column, like 10 plus names. Um, awesome, awesome work. You can also check out Ian's stuff. He has injury report, injury dashboard. He has taken stock of all 32 backfields. He has the wide receiver and cornerback matchups. He makes me look bad on a weekly basis. <laughs> I appreciate him. We'll be back later on this week with Hayden Winks, John Daigle, and Rotopat for our game previews episode. Hopefully you enjoy that one. I'm Josh Norris. That's Ian. Talk to you soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution.